Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our Easter message as we celebrate God's love that transforms lives. Whether it's life after the pandemic, a difficult diagnosis, or a ruined relationship, know that God promises there is hope after the heartache. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. I met Lou through her sister. We spoke and we liked each other and we, you know, got engaged and decided to get married. We were married for a little over uh, a year. I had to take a picture for a passport. All of a sudden I noticed like a hard mass under my jaws. So we decided to go to the doctor. During the biopsy surgery, he found lots of masses, not only one. After he removed it, it was sent to analysis. Um, and that's when we found out it was um, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, that's lymph cancer. You hear cancer, you think you're gonna die. It was really hard for me as a 22-year-older, recently married, I lost my ground. And I was directed to a uh, hematologist who then uh, prescribed my treatment, uh, which should be like eight sessions of chemotherapy and 30 sections of radiotherapy. He also told me that I would probably not be able to have kids. My birthday was coming up. I asked God for a gift, and the gift was for Beto's healing. Even Beto got the diagnosis about the cancer. I kept my faith in God because I knew that God will heal him. Uh, Lou was by my side and my mom also, uh, they were the ones who gave me strength to continue. Chemotherapy was the worst part for me. By the fourth session, I thought of quitting because it was really, really hard to me. So after the eight chemotherapy sessions, the 30 radiotherapy sessions, um, I went back to the doctor and uh, I could see that I had no more masses on my neck or my jaws. Um, and I, that's when I started to believe that, you know, God was really working on me. So I did some follow-up ex exams and the doctor said I, my cancer was in remission. That's a miracle. Six years after um, getting my miracle, we were ready for another miracle. <laughs> and that's when we started talking about kids. So we have to believe, and we believed that uh, it was going to be possible. And that's when we got pregnant from our first son, Pedro. The first blessing was the, the battle's healing. And now we were pregnant and it's it's amazing we were very very happy now i have three kids uh, marina was born uh, two and a half years later and uh, we've just had eduardo uh, in february 2022 when i see my kids i'm always reminded of god's promises well for those who are um, going through the hard times that I went through. Believe that uh, God is there for you like He was for me. Easter speaks about the resurrection of Christ. Uh, that's life after death. Um, I'm here standing because uh, there was life after the news of death. And even if I wasn't cured or healed, um, God promises that uh, we're gonna be with Him after death. 
Easter Church. Hey, let's give a big welcome to Church Online. Everyone celebrating with us today. What's up, guys? Great to have you celebrate Easter with us. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Liquid Church. What a beautiful testimony of God's love and hope for Easter Sunday. Hey, if you're new to Liquid, I always like to start with something funny. You may be watching from other states. I'm a big fan of church signs, and the ones around New Jersey are pretty epic. Can I show you some of my favorites? Take a look at this one. This is always kind of fun. St. Catherine's Sunday sermon topic will be, what is hell? Arrive early to hear our choir. <laughs> Take a look at this one. This is fun. Uh, morning sermon, Jesus walks on water. Evening sermon, searching for Jesus. I guess it's a two-part sermon series. Uh, this one is a communication problem. St. Peter's uh, youth group basketball game, eight o'clock Wednesday. Come watch us kill Christ the King. I felt like that was a little bit of a miscommunication. Could, could have been worded differently, you know. But this is by far my all-time favorite church sign, First Baptist Church of Mayview. Join our new tithing campaign. Our pastor upped his pledge. Up yours! <laughs> it's amazing God uses any of us, isn't it? Well, listen, today I want to talk to you about life after. Is there life after divorce? Is there life after cancer? Is there life after COVID, maybe the biggest loss of all, is there life after death? Quick show of hands, let me know in the chat. How many of you believe there's life after death, okay? You believe in heaven. Just type it in the chat or keep your hands up. How many of you are not sure? You're like, I'm not, I don't know exactly. How many of you know somebody who you work with and they're going to the other place, okay? Or maybe your in-laws or something. <laughs> Listen, it's Resurrection Sunday where we commemorate our Savior Jesus Christ rising from the dead. So I want to talk to you about life after death today. There's a recent poll that found 80% of adults believe in life after death, that there's an eternal reality waiting for us when your time on earth is done. Now, a few years ago, a book came out. It's called Heaven is for Real. It's the story of a four-year-old boy named Colton who had a near-death experience uh, his appendix ruptured. He was misdiagnosed by doctors. And for five days, poison was leaching into his body. He almost died. So his parents rushed uh, the little boy to surgery. This is a true story where he says he had an out-of-body experience. And at first, nobody knew because he's four years old. But he wasn't able to communicate. But in the days following his recovery, he started telling his parents some strange details. He says, Mommy, while I was on the operating table, I saw you on the phone in the waiting room. And she said, how did he know that? He said, and Daddy, you were in the, the chapel at the hospital, and you were, you were yelling at God. And his parents said, how, how did he know how angry I was at God, yelling at God and praying? And how's that possible? And then he really freaked his parents out because he said, days later, he said, Mommy, why did you never tell me you had a baby die in your tummy? Now, she never told Colton that she had had a miscarriage. He said, why didn't you tell me I had a sister? I met her in heaven, and she can't wait to meet you and Daddy. And it just blew his parents away. He described going to heaven, meeting relatives who had died decades before. Now, that book, Heaven is for Real, sold over 8 million copies. So, of course, they made it into a movie. And I started doing a little research, and I discovered there's actually an entire genre of accounts like this. They're called NDEs, or near-death experiences. Newsweek ran a cover article featuring the firsthand account of a neurosurgeon from Harvard. And it's titled, A Doctor's Experience of the Afterlife. And you know, when I look at all these NDE counts, what you realize is whether it's a four-year-old boy or an Ivy League neurosurgeon, all these near-death experiences seem to tell us the same thing. There's this universal hunger for heaven, this sense that life on earth is not all there is. 
You know what the Bible says? It puts it this way. It says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. In other words, we long for it. Yet, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, every human being has this innate sense, man, there's, there's more to this present life than, than my eyes can see. For instance, right now, where do you live? If you're from New Jersey, type it in the chat. If you're from another state, type it in the chat. Tell me where you live. My guess is no matter what state, what county, what city, all of us here live on planet Earth. Would you agree with that? How many of you are like, yes, welcome earthlings, okay? You live on planet Earth. Maybe it's in a house, it's a condo or an apartment. How many of you are like, I don't know where I am. You're confused. You're like, am I on Long, Long Island right now? <laughs> the reality is human instinct and biblical truth both tell us the same thing. That though both you and I currently live right here on planet Earth, one day, every single person listening to my voice will take our last breath and you will physically die. Your body will go in the ground. But you, the real you, what the Bible calls your soul or spirit, will continue into eternity. And when you step through that door, life after death begins. Forever after and forever after that. It's as if the life you're living right now on planet Earth, it's the preview or it's the coming attraction of the real life to come. Think about it. We're here for a short time, right? 70, 80, 90 years. And then what the Bible calls eternal life begins. But I'm always like, how do you separate fact from fiction? Like, what does God really promise about heaven? If I ask you to describe heaven, what would you say? You know, growing up in church, I was told, well, Tim, heaven is like, it's this one long church service in the sky. People in choir robes, strumming harps, singing songs all day long for 10,000 years. It's never-ending hymn singing in the sky. I'm 10 years old. I thought, that sounds more like hell to me, you know? <laughs> That's how it is for most Americans, as well as a lot of Christians. Our ideas about the afterlife, they come more from popular culture than the truth of Scripture. Well, today on Easter, I want to open up our Bible and look at what Jesus promises you about heaven. You know, the Bible is a perfect place to start. You guys know what the Bible stands for? B-I-B-L-E? Basic instructions before leaving earth, okay? So let's look at John 14. I'm going to put it on the screen. This is where Jesus gave some basic instructions before he left earth and returned to his Father in heaven. Let's read this together. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, guys, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many what? Many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you? that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And here's the promise. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, let's say this together, church. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is a classic text on life after death. And I want to start here because I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, well, Tim, why should I care about heaven? You know, I'm young. I've got my health. I got my whole life ahead of me. What does heaven have to do with my life on earth right now? I ain't there yet. I'm still on earth. And that's true for now. But statistically speaking, I have bad news. You're not going to make it. <laughs> I Googled it this morning. The mortality rate is still stuck at about 100%, okay? In fact, according to Wikipedia, check this out, 
globally, around the world right now, three people die every single second. You know what that means? Okay, one, two, three, bye first row, bye-bye. <laughs> Four, five, six, don't laugh, you guys are gone now. By the time this, this, this experience is over, 11,000 people will have crossed from this life, watch this, from this life on earth to the life after death. Now it's Easter, and I don't want to stress you out, so let me lighten this up a little bit. You may have heard of the woman who went to the doctor with her husband, and after his checkup, the doctor called the wife in, and he said, I'm sorry, I have bad news. Your husband is under a lot of stress. He has heart trouble, and he's going to die if you don't do the following. He said, every morning I want you to fix him a big, healthy breakfast. Let him rest all day. Don't, don't ask him to do chores. Don't nag him. Don't tell him your problems. It'll make his stress worse. And most importantly, you've been married a long time. I want you to make love to your husband several times every week. And if you can do that for the next year, I think your husband will make a full recovery. So on the way home, the husband asked his wife, what did the doctor say? And she looked at him. He said, you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, guess we're all going to die. And you know what? That's okay. Because if you're a Christian and you put your faith and the hope of the resurrection of Jesus, understand right now what we're facing on earth. Death is just the doorway to new life, eternal life with God. You know, the reality is we don't typically think about life after death until we get bad news, right? Until a doctor says, hey, I, I need to do a biopsy or your child gets sick or, or your parents get old. When you're young, man, and, and healthy, you're in your 20s or 30s, man, you're like, I'm bulletproof, man. Personally, I didn't care that much about heaven until my dad was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 59. And then suddenly I became very interested in what the Bible had to say. Because the, from the Bible's perspective, it doesn't matter how old you are. Every one of us is having a near-death experience right now as I speak. Eternity is closer than you think. And maybe that creates some anxiety like, Tim, you're kind of stressing me out on Easter. That's why Jesus says this to his disciples in John 14. They're anxious. They're upset. And Jesus said, don't let your hearts be what? Be troubled. Why were they troubled? They were upset because Jesus just told them. He said, the end of my life on earth has begun. He said, I've walked with you guys for 33 years, but they were upset. He said, I am going to be crucified on a Roman cross. He was 33 years old, and he said, my life is about to end. He said, I will not only be crucified on that cross for the sins of the world, then I'll be buried in a tomb. And But watch this. After three days, everyone say three days, I am going to rise from the dead. And I am going to come back and take you and you and you to be with me. That you may be where I am. That's the promise. He said, I'll be back. That's not the Terminator. That's Jesus. He said, I'm coming back to this planet to take you and you to be with me so you can be where I am. The disciples did not understand what Jesus meant. They were heartbroken that the, the greatest person they'd ever loved was about to leave them behind. So all they saw was their loss. But Jesus gives them this promise to comfort them in their sorrows. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, but watch this, make it personal. Believe also in me. And then he says this, my father's house has many rooms. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you there? And here's the first promise. Let's read this together, church. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know, if you're taking notes, Jesus makes several promises about life after death. And the first is this. He says, heaven is a physical 
place. It is not some airy-fairy, wispy, woo-woo, pie-in-the-sky, when-you-die kind of thing. It is a concrete, material reality. He says, it's my father's house. It has rooms. Let me tell you why this is important to me. Like I said, my earthly father was diagnosed with cancer over 15 years ago. That's my dad and my kids when they were little, and after his diagnosis, it was 15 years of illness and remission, illness and remission. Now, my dad was my greatest influence in life. My son's named after him. He's my role model, the reason I'm a pastor today. But right around Easter, eight springtimes ago, my dad died. He fought a very brave battle with cancer for a decade and a half, and we were blessed to enjoy many happy years together. But two weeks before that Easter Sunday, my dad stepped from this life into the next. And it was such a bittersweet experience. You know, you, you can never script the end of somebody's life. But my dad was home on hospice care those last few weeks, and our family had the, the mercy of coming around him one last time to say goodbye and to pray for him. It was a beautiful experience. You know, surrounded by my mom and his grandchildren, we said our goodbyes. No regrets, just kind of treasuring the moment. But on the morning that my father passed, I was there in the room. When I was standing there with my mom when my earthly father stepped from this life into the next one. And you know what? Because my father trusted this incredibly personal promise from Jesus, we're sad for us, but we were happy for him. Because we have complete confidence knowing where my father is right now. We believe what the Bible promises. To be absent from the body is to be what? Say it together, church. Present with the Lord. Now, my father is a man of great faith, but you know what? He doesn't need faith anymore. His faith has become sight. That was the promise on this side of the door, but now he is in the reality of life after death. He's face to face with the Savior he devoted his life to serving. And I know some of you have lost a loved one maybe in this past couple years. COVID has been brutal for both of all of us, right? And God's given great comfort, though, through a promise like this. So understand, we grieve. Hey, the loss is still real. But we grieve with great hope because we believe what Jesus promises here, that one day we will see our loved ones in Christ again in heaven. Amen? It's kind of funny. Our kids were 10 and 12 years old at the time uh, that, that grandpa went to heaven. And um, I remember coming back from our last visit with him. And on the drive home, something funny happened. Our kids are, are super quiet in the back seat. And my, we're just driving. And my wife, Colleen, turns around. She says, hey, are you guys okay? How are you feeling? Knowing grandpa's going to Go, and go to heaven and be with Jesus soon. And my kids were quiet for like a good two minutes, which it's like a miracle in our house, okay? It's like we're driving, it's just dead silence in the back seat. And out of the darkness, my 10-year-old son says, Dad, I got a question. I'm like, sure, son, what? He said, where are they going to bury the body? <laughs> and I said, well, I was 10 years old. You know, I was like, you know, probably at a military cemetery. Grandpa was a veteran, you know? And so he paused more quiet. And then he said, Dad, when you die, I'm going to bury your body in the woods. And now it's all quiet in the front seat. I'm like, what is, what is, what is this kid like saying? You know? and, and, and he says, no, by the fort you and I built in the woods behind our house. Isn't that cute? My, my son and I, we loved to you know, spend time in the woods when he was little. And so my wife, Colleen, said, oh, that's so sweet. That's, a, that's such a special place. You and daddy spend a lot of time in the woods. And then my daughter spoke up. And out of the darkness, she says, mommy, I'm going to bury you at the mall. <laughs> Don't you love it? Kids put life in perspective from the mouths of babes, right? <laughs> you know, earlier in John 11, a woman came to Jesus who just lost somebody she loved. This was her brother Lazarus. He died. You know what Jesus did? 
He cried. He grieved. Jesus had a heart full of love, but he cried for the temporary loss of his friend. But you know what Jesus said to her? He said, you don't have to cry without hope. He said, because you have to understand something about me. I am not just a man. I am the what? Resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. They'll live. And then he says this to Mary. Do you believe this? Isn't that an awesome question? I'm asking you. Do you believe this? That Jesus Christ died on that cross to bring you to life. The death of Jesus to forgive all your flaws and your failures, your sins. And because of that promise, when you die, you will too follow Jesus. You will cross over from death to eternal life. Now listen to me. If you haven't put your trust in Jesus for salvation, I want to challenge you to do that in a few minutes. I'm going to ask, do you believe this? Are you ready to claim that promise and become a follower of Christ today? That promise of resurrection through faith in Jesus, the central claim of the Christian faith. So if you're not a Christian yet, I just want to challenge you to think about this because Jesus promised heaven is a physical place. He said, in my father's what? My father's house. There's many rooms. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You want to hear something cool? The Greek word for place is the word topos. It's where we get the word topography. In other words, it is a physical place. It is a literal location. And so understand, this runs counter to people who say, well, heaven is just this state of mind, or it's this wispy concept in the clouds. Listen to me. Take it from the guy who went to heaven and back and back. <laughs> Jesus came from heaven. He returned back to his Father in heaven. He said, heaven is a house. It's my, my Father's house. There are rooms. It's, it's real. It's as real as this door. As real as the home I live in, Tim? No, the Bible says it's even more real than that. The Bible describes heaven in very earthy terms. They call it the heavenly city. There's walls, there's streets, there's peoples and trees. There's rivers and animals just like we have on earth. Heaven is a country with citizens. There's a kingdom, there's a wedding feast with food and new wine. The Bible says heaven is way more earthy than you and I realize. But you know what my favorite description of heaven is? It's the one right here that Jesus gives in John 14. He calls it my father's house. Can you say that with me? My father's house. If you grew up in a warm and loving home, you know it's a place you want to return to again and again. Let me show you a, ch a photo of my childhood home. That's my father's house where mom and dad lived for 49 years, raised my brother and I there for two decades. And even when I got married and moved out, my wife Colleen and I loved to drive over there just to spend a little time at my father's house because my father had great affection for me, for my brother, for his grandkids. He was a man of great love and, and integrity. In fact, one of the things that my father and I bonded over growing up was baseball. Any baseball fans here? Any Yankee fans? Hey! Anyone who knew my dad knew he had one great passion in life. After Jesus, it was the New York Yankees. <laughs> dad was abounding in love, slow to anger, unless you rooted for the Red Sox. Then you were dead to him. <laughs> he coached my brother and me, actually, in Little League. And growing up, my greatest memory was waiting in my father's house with my glove. This is his glove. Isn't it cool? Kind of like an old school glove for him to get home every day from work at 5.30 and pull to the driveway, change clothes, and we would stand in front of the house, my father's house, having catch after catch until dinner time. Back and forth, back and forth over the years, thousands of throws, and we talk about school and how's it going with your friends and how's it going with gir girls. What? <laughs> and how did God factor into that? Now I realize he was tricking me. He was discipling me. Something happens between a father and son when they spend long hours throwing balls or building forts. Now, it came to the Yankees. My father was creative. This was the 80s. 
before the glory days of Derek Jeter and Mariano, the Yankees stunk. And so dad would take my brother and I to Yankee Stadium, but there wasn't a lot to root about. And so my father had an idea as we became teenagers. He said, we're going to start a fan club and we're calling it the New Jersey Global Yankee Fan Club. The only problem is there were only three members. My dad was president and my brother and I were co-vice president. And so my father made letterhead and he sent letters to the Yankee Stadium front office. We'd like to present some of our players with the, you know, a special award. And they would say, they, they actually wrote back, they said, how many tickets do you need? You know, a thousand tickets, 2,000 tickets? He said, actually only three, just the executive team is coming to the game. <laughs> and so we would go down onto the field at Yankee Stadium to actually meet our heroes and give them this $10 wooden plaque. All these stars, take a look. This is Lou Pinella from back in the days. There's my father and my brother, and probably Lou Pinella saying, what are these kids doing down on the field? Catfish Hunter autographed baseballs for us. It was incredible. We did this year after year. We made it all the way to Don Mattingly before anyone suspected anything. <laughs> it's like meeting Aaron Judge. We did this dozens of times before the Yankees figured out, hey, I think the fan club is really this dad and his two sons. <laughs> but those are my idols growing up, man. Del Lucas and Don Mattingly. I wasn't gifted very much. I was actually extraordinarily average at baseball. Growing up, I played two positions, right field and left out. But it didn't matter. Because however I did, I knew my dad would be in the stands just clapping. Even when I would strike out, he'd be like, great swing, Timmy, great swing. And here's the secret. Because my father was full of compassion and abounding in love, I slowly learned, man, it doesn't matter how I performed. My father loves me, and he's cheering anyway. So in Little League, I got left back a year. Look at me. I'm the chunky kid there on the right. Dad's the coach on the left, but it didn't phase me. I signed up to play baseball in high school because I didn't even realize that I stunk. I just knew my father was always cheering. And so I played along with these athletes head and shoulders above me, and I, I sat on the bench for most of my four years, but it didn't matter to me because my dad would come to every game with his camcorder. You remember those giant cameras? And I'd pinch run in the, you know, it's the last inning of a meaningless game. They'd be like, all right, Lucas, we feel sorry for you. Go pinch run. I'd get thrown out at second base. And he's there with the, against the fence, videotaping the whole thing. And he's like, great run, great run, great run, you know? In other words, baseball was just an excuse for letting me and my brother know we were the apple of my father's eye. And so baseball is where I learned what it meant to live in my father's love, in my father's house. It's a special kind of love called grace. It is this radical, undeserved love and affection of a holy God. Apart from anything you do or how you perform, God simply loves you because of who he is, not because of what you do. I, I remember my senior year. I actually didn't play much. I told you I stunk. And there was this awards dinner, but not much to celebrate for me. But we're driving home, my dad in his little junky Chevette. And uh, after the dinner, he reached into the back seat and he said, I think they forgot to give out one trophy. And he pulled out a trophy. He said, I, I think they forgot to give this one to you. And I was like, no, I, wait, what? And I realized my dad had made me a trophy. And I don't know if you can read this. You probably can't read it. It says to Tim Lucas, highest on base percentage for a pinch runner in the sixth inning or later. <laughs> now, if you don't know sports, that is a total phony baloney statistic my father had made up just so he could celebrate me, just to let me know I'm so proud of you, my son. You are my boy. I crafted you in my image, and I love you regardless of how you perform. In my eyes, you're an all-star. This trophy was his promise to his son. It was his promise of unshakable love. Can I tell you what that does for a kid's heart? I didn't get a scholarship, <laughs> 
But that unshakable love gave me this unshakable confidence because I grew up in my father's house and his love gave me the confidence to find my niche in college and the courage to take risks as an adult because I realized, man, I got nothing to prove. My earthly father introduced me to the radical love of my heavenly father. 1 John 3 makes this promise. Listen to this. You want to know how loved you are? See what great love the Father has lavished on you that you should be called children of God. And that is what you are. Give God a praise for that promise. Light up the chat, man. Let me tell you, my earthly father taught me, Tim, grace is given. It's not earned. It's this promise from the heart of God. You have to understand, when Jesus died on the cross, he took all your sins, your shortcomings, your mistakes, your mess-ups, all the ways you have fallen short of God's expectations. He said, I'm going to not only cancel them, I'm going to give you the righteousness of Jesus, his perfection. You have nothing to prove. What The pressure's off. That's the heart of God. It's called grace. Grace says that you are loved by God not for how good you are, but whose you are, who you belong to. You're not loved for what you do, but because of what Christ did for you on the cross. On that cross, Jesus did two things. He took your sin so that when God looks at you, he sees it's like you never sinned, but that's not all. God then gives you the righteousness of Jesus, his perfect life. So it means God sees you like you always obeyed. Guys, think about that. I mean, as a grown man, I have saved this trophy as a reminder of the kind of father I want to be, one who reflects the radical grace of his heavenly father. Parents, understand the greatest task you have on earth is introducing that child to their father in heaven in the way that you love, the way that you sacrifice, the way that you serve. Watch this. On this side of the door, like my earthly father did, he invested to show God's grace and he left a legacy that lasts into eternity. Understand, heaven, man, heaven's just going home to live in the Father's house. And can I tell you, that's such a comfort. If you didn't have the affection of a father who loved and cared for you, you know, maybe you're here today and, man, you, dad never gave you a trophy. Maybe your dad was emotionally absent or physically distant. I just believe God brought you to church on Easter to say, what are you waiting for? Come home. Come home to the Father's house. There is a place prepared, and it's prepared by Christ for you. Jesus says, my father's house has many what, church? Many rooms. And if it weren't so, would I have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Guys, I want you to think of the most beautiful place you've ever been. Where is it? Aruba, the Caribbean, Hawaii, the Grand Canyon, maybe the Swiss Alps. The Bible says that God created this world in how many days? Anyone know? Six, 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 six. Six days. But he's been working on your room for how long? 2,000 years. <laughs> Translation, you're living in a garbage dump right now. Even the best experiences that you have on this planet pale in comparison to what God has in store. You know what the Apostle Paul said? He said, man, no eye has seen it, no ear has heard it, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Jesus says, I promise, I'm preparing a place for you right now in the Father's house, and it's going to blow your mind. That's the second promise. And here's the third. Heaven is promised to God's children. In verse 3, Jesus says, if I go, I'm already going, and I prepare a place for you, watch this. I will, what? Come back. Say, I'll come back. He's coming back. And take you to be with me, that you also may be right where I am. 
beyond the sheer beauty of heaven. The greatest thing you have to look forward to is being in the presence of Christ himself. What will that be like, guys? When he wipes the tears from your eyes, there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, and he, you're going to look into the face of the God who formed you in your mother's womb, who created you in his image. You know, in that book, Heaven is for Real, Colton's parents asked their son that question. They said, if you visited heaven, did you see Jesus? He said, of course I saw Jesus. And they said, what do you look like? And they thought, you know, long hair, robe. They showed him paintings of Jesus, but Colton always shook his head. He said, no, 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 no. Je Jesus has markers, mommy and daddy. And they said, what? Markers? What do you mean markers? His parents didn't understand. They said, markers? What do you, like magic markers? Like Crayola? He said, yeah, he had red markers. And they said, okay, so Jesus you saw in heaven, he had markers, red markers. Where are the red markers located? And the little boy went here and here. Here and here in his palms. You know how I think we'll recognize Jesus? Not by his face, but by his hands and his feet and his pierced side. The Bible says after Jesus was raised from the dead on Easter Sunday, he still bore the wounds of crucifixion. There were nail pins in his, in his palms. They're glory markers. They're a reminder of the price Jesus paid to bring you home to your Father in heaven. Your Savior will be known by his scars. The cross is Jesus saying, I love you this much. I love you so much it hurts. I'd rather die than live without you. Friends, death is just the beginning. What comes after? An eternal life that is greater than anything you and I can imagine. So the question is, how do you get there? I mean, in John 14, Jesus makes this promise to his disciples. And Thomas said, this is hilarious. Thomas is like Tommy boy. Listen to him. He's like, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? <laughs> right? There's a reason they call him the disciples. <laughs> Thomas is like, I got questions. Uh, heaven sounds incredible, but how do you get there? Guys, this is the first century. Don't rag on Thomas. There's no GPS. He can't go, Siri, give me directions to heaven. <laughs> but Jesus good teacher, great savior that he is. Jesus gives Thomas a very, very clear answer. I want to read his words out loud together, church. Here we go. Ready? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do you believe that truth, church? That Jesus is the only way to heaven. Listen, I didn't ask if you grew up going to Mass. I didn't ask if your parents or family are Christians. I'm asking if you believe it for yourself in your heart. Because there's something I know about every single person listening today. 120 years from now, every one of us will be gone. Your life on this earth will come to a close. Maybe you'll live to be 74 like my father. Or heaven forbid, it's four years old like that little boy when he had his near-death experience. None of us know. But what I do know is this. When that moment comes, whew, you better know the way. Jesus said, I am the way. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Friends, you are made for a person and a place. Heaven is the place and Jesus is the person. He is the path. I am the way, he says, to heaven. He says, I alone can open this door and give eternal life to every single person and say after me, I've been there and I'm coming back for you. When he died on the cross, guys, he canceled your sin. When he rose from the grave, he conquered death. And he says, now I stand ready to give eternal life to anyone humble enough to ask for it. So can I ask you, have you asked for that? Can you point to a moment we've said, Jesus, I believe. I believe you're the Father's Son. Be my Savior. 
I want the hope of heaven with you forever. Come into my heart so that I can experience life after death. You know, it's amazing, guys, and I'll close with this. In Revelation, last book of the Bible, Jesus makes a very, very personal invitation to every single one of us. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and, everyone, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. We're going to have fellowship for all eternity. Let me just ask you, have you heard the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of your heart? Better yet, have you opened that door and asked Jesus to come in through faith because he is the only way to heaven? If you haven't done that, I'm just asking you today on Easter, what's holding you back? You know what the Bible says? Today is the day of salvation. On Easter Sunday, your heavenly Father is saying, will you come home? Will you claim this promise, this sacrifice? And in a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to pray a prayer of salvation. Become a follower of Jesus and secure your home in heaven. A few days before that Easter, we buried my father in a military cemetery in South Jersey. He spent a couple years in the Army. It was a moving service. An honor guard played taps. And then they folded the flag and they gave it to my mom. And we said goodbye. And then they closed the coffin and they lowered his body into the ground. As we turned to walk away, the sergeant in charge of the burial, said, uh, sorry to bother you, but what would you like written on your father's gravestone? You know, what do you want inscribed? On every grave marker, the army puts typically your name and your rank, but they give you room for just a few words, up to 20 letters, and said, you can write anything you want. And he gave us some examples, like you can write beloved husband or devoted dad. And so our family, we talked it over, and we actually walked among the cemetery, some of the gravestones, to see what the others had written. One gravestone said, Bon voyage. I was, I was like, maybe he was in the Navy, right? <laughs> but the one that really haunted me, I saw a grave marker that said, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Can you imagine walking through that door with fingers crossed? And that's when we realized our choice was easy. Because of my father's faith in Jesus, we told the sergeant, no, no, no. We only need three words on my father's grave. Alive in Christ because he is my father staked his life on the promise of Jesus, and that gives us great hope. Yes, we grieve, but we grieve with hope. We say, death, where is your sting? My earthly father, he's not here. He's at home with my heavenly father. He's face to face with the Lord he gave his life to 50 years ago. Could you say that? If tomorrow you walk through this door, God says, the day's over, I'm calling you home. Or are you, fingers crossed, fingers crossed, don't you dare leave here. Stand at a door like this and say, fingers crossed. Or do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if that was your day, tomorrow, you would be alive in Christ. Listen to me. You are made for a person and a place. Heaven is the place. Jesus is the person. And it's a package deal. You can't have one without the other. You've got to put your faith in the resurrection of Jesus if you want to be resurrected. So I want to invite you to do that now. Put your faith in Christ. You can know for certain, no matter what comes through the door on earth, man, because of God's promise, you'll be alive with Christ in heaven. Amen? So let's just bow our heads for prayer wherever you are. If you're online, this is a holy moment. If you're watching in your living room, I know the Holy Spirit's speaking to some of you. And you're ready to claim that promise. I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation. You can just pray this prayer out loud after me. They're not magic words. 
you can simply pray these words after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. I put my faith in Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And thank you for rising from the dead. Forgive me for my sins. I turn from them now. I put my full faith in you. And I make you my Lord and Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you on earth. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen. Hey, can we welcome new believers to the family of God? Praise God for you. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family of God. Liquid is a wonderful church family. We're here to help you take your next steps, and we're so glad to celebrate Easter with you. God bless you as you go. We'll be in touch. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.